Late in the evening of November 6, 2018, at the Democratic Party's election night get-together, results were still coming in. It was the midterm election, two years after Donald Trump shocked the political world and won the presidency. Perhaps as a backlash to that, a record number of women ran for public office that year. Vox put together some really good numbers on this. In Congress alone, 529 women filed to run for a seat, up from 312 two years prior. A starker comparison came from Emily's list. Leading up to 2016, they said just over 900 women reached out to them interested in running for something. After 2016, it was 42,000. And it was a rare sight in Michigan, even for Democrats. All four of the candidates in the top four races, governor, attorney general, secretary of state, and United States senator, were women. The governor won her race uh, as you know, handily by nearly 10 points. So her race was called very early. Debbie Stabenow's race was called early. Jocelyn Benson's race was called early. Mine was not. Mine was the closest race. Dana Nessel was locked in a tight race with the then Michigan State House Speaker Tom Leonard. Leonard was an up-and-coming Republican. Just a few years prior, he'd been named one of the top 10 conservatives under the age of 40 by the American Conservatives Union. Nessel had never run for anything. At the time, she was a private practice attorney who had argued a Michigan case that developed into Obergefell v. Hodges, the Supreme Court case that ultimately legalized gay marriage in the United States. But outside of legal circles, she was an unknown. She was also trying to become the first openly gay person to hold statewide elected office in the state of Michigan. It was midnight. I remember Brandon Dillon, who was then the uh, chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, saying, we're about to close up shop. Like, everybody's going home. Do you want to make a speech? And I said, well, I don't know what to say because I don't know if I won or not. What am I supposed to say? He's like, I don't know. Just get up there and say something. So what I did do when I was up there is I thanked my family and I kissed my wife. And for all of you out there that can't handle the fact that I'm about to become the first openly gay person to hold statewide office. Today, as we near the end of Pride Month, Attorney General Dana Nessel shares with us her coming out story. She talks about the Obergefell ruling and what it meant for her. She opens up about the lack of LGBTQ role models when she was young, and how that role has now been somewhat thrust upon her. She also details how she's worked very hard to make sure her gayness is not the defining characteristic of her political profile, and shares the difficulties she faced as a young woman at a time when being gay was a whole lot harder, even in a liberal household. I'm Nick Lefebvre. This is Alone at the Desk. Alone at the Desk, a podcast by an average middle-aged guy who just happens to be a TV news anchor. We talk about the exciting and the boring parts of life, the industry, and life in the industry. And we cover some important topics along the way. Brought to you by 39 Your Side News in Grand Rapids, Michigan. June 1st Twitter video, A.G. Dana Nessel and State Senator Jeremy Moss are literally frolicking through the halls of the state capitol. When they stop and catch their breath, 
They talk about some of the fun ways to take part in Pride Month, like local events, and they suggest some ways you might be more considerate of the LGBTQ people in your life. Make pronouns a priority. Have you ever received an email with a signature containing a person's pronouns? Pronouns are important, and using them properly conveys respect for those you're working with. Open advocacy for Gay Pride Month isn't shocking, especially coming from an openly gay woman. But open communication about being gay was certainly not something Dana Nessel had when she was struggling to figure out who she was as a youth. I knew from a very young age, but I didn't have a person, a single person in the world that I felt comfortable talking to about it, not even a best friend. Nessel grew up in West Bloomfield. She says her upbringing was unremarkable. She graduated from West Bloomfield High, then she went to Michigan for her undergraduate degree and Wayne State for law school. The now 52-year-old says the first person she told she was a lesbian was her brother, and she was already a grown woman when she did it. But didn't tell the rest of my family uh, because I didn't feel as though they, they would accept it. Fearing she would never receive that acceptance, Nessel, like far too many others, considered some dark options and did so for quite a long time. And frankly, spent many years um, in my, not just my childhood, but all the way into my 20s, wondering if my family would be better off if I just wasn't alive anymore. And wondering if it was better for me to take my own life. Wondered if it would be better if I moved away, maybe changed my name and just, I don't know, faked my own death and left because I didn't think I'd be accepted by my, my friends or my family or my colleagues or anybody. Nessel says her family were mostly Democrats. They considered themselves very forward-thinking, but even in that environment, she says, being gay, or even thinking about someone in the family being gay, just wasn't on their radar, and it certainly was not discussed. And I knew that my parents uh, and other family members would be deeply ashamed if they were found out about me, and so I didn't tell them. Uh, and they found out, you know, basically uh, in an accidental manner, and they didn't take it well. And I, I went years, decades, uh, with family members who didn't speak to me after they found out. So, you know, it, it was a, to say it was a challenge, I think, is really an understatement. Nessel talked pointedly about the lack of LGBTQ role models when she was young. Growing up in the 70s, 80s, even as a young woman in the 90s, there really were not many. There was no one to look up to when I was growing up. You know, when, when Ellen DeGeneres did her big coming out on her show, you know, that happened when I was in my, I don't know, mid to late 20s, maybe. I'm so afraid to tell people. I mean, I just, Susan, I'm gay. The significance of that moment for the gay community is huge. It was before marriage equality. It was before Will and Grace. It was the star of a major affiliate comedy coming out as gay on the show, even though it was obvious DeGeneres was talking about her character and, more importantly, herself. Shortly thereafter, she wound up on the cover of Time magazine. It started a new national conversation about being gay. But this was still the exception for high-profile people who were out, not the rule. I mean, I, I often had my suspicions about whoever was the center square on Hollywood squares, but it was not really openly talked about. That's the second time during our conversation that Nessel referenced homosexuality not being talked about. First was with her family, now in public settings through media. And she combines it with a lack of role models. And she's talking decades ago, keep in mind. For some perspective, it wasn't until this very week when for the first time an active NFL player came out as gay. 
just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Carl Nassib of the Las Vegas Raiders said the decision to come out was a moment of gratitude and relief. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Out athletes, especially in male sports, are still few and far between, as are out politicians. On the campaign trail while running for Attorney General, Nestle says she was approached by former United States Representative from Massachusetts, Barney Frank. Frank had been openly gay for years and offered to appear with her. And I said, of course, yes. And of course he, you know, he was a person that he was a role model and that I think he did very, a lot of important things in Congress, but he was closeted when he was in Congress and it took him a very long time. Uh, and it took being frankly outed, uh, you know, for a lot of these individuals. So they're just, I wish I could point to somebody and say, well, that person or that person, but we didn't have people like that. For people my age, uh, generation X, you know, we just did not have what, what the millennial generation or generation Z has to look up to. And, and that's why I, I really do hope that, you know, whether you agree with me or not from a political perspective, I think for kids that are growing up that um, are, are LGBTQ, that at least they'll be able to look at my experience and my story and say, you know what, I can be who I am. I can love, you know, who, who I love and I can still be something in life and I can be somebody that people look up to and, and respect, if not me personally, then my office, right? Uh, and, and that I, I don't have to be ashamed of myself. I don't have to run away. I don't have to think of ways to take my own life because one day I can be accepted for who I am. When did, because we tell kids who are having all kinds of issues when they're kids, but this is specifically one of them, the, the phrase, it gets better. When did things start to get better for you in, in being openly who you are? Well, I mean, it, it was it was later in life, you know. Um, it was when I was able to come to terms with who I was. It was when I was able to find someone who, you know, who I could be in a relationship with that uh, that made me, you know, feel like I was living my authentic life. Uh, and um, it was uh, as time went on and knowing that people could love me for who I was. Nestle then talked about her career more. She thought about the success that she had had, especially early on, and that it could be something to point to, she'd say, so she wouldn't be an embarrassment to her family. The case that catapulted her was DeBoer v. Snyder. Again, that's the one morphed into Obergefell, ultimately allowed her to marry her now wife, to whom she proposed on the steps of the Supreme Court immediately after the arguments. You know, it was very personal to me. There's no question. I mean, I wanted to win it so badly on behalf of our clients and their children, um, but also on behalf of, of the hundreds, not tens, but hundreds of thousands of people in our state that identify as LGBTQ. Um, and, and knowing the life difference that that would make to be able to be legally married and have the hundreds of rights that um, automatically attach to a marriage including the ability, again, to have um, two legal parents to your children. It's a very big deal. Interesting side note here about the case. After that 5-4 ruling was announced, Nestle was sitting on a couch with the Michigan couple whom she'd originally represented. That got a lot of attention. But what happened a few weeks later has not been as widely reported. Uh, a few weeks later, I got married uh, to my wife by Judge Friedman, who was the district court judge that decided our case in the courtroom where the 
same-sex marriage trial was held against the lawyers from the Department of Attorney General who all now work for me. They work for her now because she won that Attorney General's race. And she admits the Obergefell case, DeBoer v. Snyder, that was a catalyst for her run for Attorney General. But she's also quick to point out it was far from the only thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a same-sex marriage and I've certainly never hid that. I certainly didn't hide my sexual orientation during the course of the campaign. But also I didn't just talk about LGBTQ issues. Uh, I talked about so many different issues that I think a lot of people around the state were like, yes, I want an attorney general who cares about consumer protection. Yes, I want an attorney general who cares about rate payers. And I want an attorney general who cares about clean drinking water. And so the, the items that I focused on were your sort of bread and butter um, types of issues that, that I think appealed to a lot of people. And, and of course, I, I was pretty firm on my stance on LGBTQ rights, but it just it wasn't the only thing that I talked about. So it was sort of clear, I guess, that I wasn't I wasn't seen just as like that lesbian running for attorney general. Uh, I was seen, I hope, as more than that. Despite all that success, despite being the 54th attorney general from the state of Michigan, Nessel says for some in her family, it still wasn't enough. I remember very candidly having a conversation with my mother um, when she shared with me how, you know, her despair uh, in, you know, what, what will I tell my friends? What will people think of my family if they know this about you? Um, and really not wanting anyone to know that about me. And, you know, me saying, hey, look, you know, I, uh, I was, a, you know, an honor student all through school, never been arrested, uh, was an all-state athlete. Uh, by the time I was 30, I had tried over a couple dozen homicides, some of the biggest cases in the state of Michigan. And I was, I thought I'd be somebody that my family could be proud of. And if this is the one thing um, that makes you ashamed of me, then maybe we shouldn't have a relationship anymore because I'll never be able to make you proud because I'll never be able to be the person that you want me to be. And it was that really sort of I guess, come to Jesus moment of, you know, either you accept me as I am or we can't we can't have a relationship anymore with members of my family. And some of my family members chose to maintain a relationship with me and others decided not to. Nestle is one of a group of high profile LGBTQ politicians who are becoming more numerous. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, Senators Temi Baldwin of Wisconsin, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, Colorado Governor Jay Polis, so there are more high-profile people from the gay community in elected office, and things seem to be better for gay youth than they were years ago. But Nessel says there's still progress yet to be made, and she's both optimistic and pessimistic. And I say that just because, as you indicated, first of all, public opinion has, you know, it, it continues to improve dramatically in terms of, you know, we, we now see for the first time ever that a majority of Republicans approve of same-sex marriage. Um, when you look at the population of, as a whole, of course, it's you know the vast majority of Americans. But if you look at um, uh, amending Elliot Larson and including sexual orientation and gender identity, we're close to 80% of Michiganders that approve of that. But on the other hand, we now have the most conservative courts that we've ever had in my lifetime. Uh, and that makes it difficult because when I see the, uh, 
the cases that they're taking, and one of them is, a, is an adoption case that will directly affect us in Michigan involving whether or not state tax dollars can be used to fund uh, adoption agencies that discriminate against same-sex couples and discriminate against LGBTQ people. I, I see a, a number of an enormous rollbacks in the law from where we were in 2015 when Obergefell was decided. So on one hand, from a, you know, a public opinion standpoint, we're, we're moving you know, ahead quickly, but from a legal perspective, we're moving backwards. And so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when those two things coalesce together. Uh, so I'm excited about the future, but I'm also fearful about the future at the same time. And I know that those things seem contradictory, but both of those things are happening simultaneously. Before we end this episode, I want to share a few statistics with you. According to the Trevor Project, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 10 to 24. An LGBTQ youth seriously contemplates suicide at almost three times the rate of heterosexual youth, and they're almost five times as likely to attempt suicide. But there is help out there. There are people willing to listen to you. If you need someone like that, Call 1-866-488-7386. And I hope that other people who are younger than me and are of the next generation or the generation after that won't have to go through the types of things that people my age went through uh, and that feeling of, of horrible loneliness um, and, and the feeling of never being accepted for who you were uh, and having to pretend to be somebody else, quite honestly. Um, in a way that I think is psychologically extremely damaging to an individual. I, I hope that those days are over. This has been Alone at the Desk with Nick Lafave. My thanks to Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel for sharing her story. If you'd like to hear more of our episodes, just go to 13onyourside.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And you can find me at twitter.com slash nicklafave or facebook.com slash nicknews. And you can email me directly at nicklafave at 13onyourside.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.